just a show of hands, how many feel they have something from the Lord this morning, a picture, a word, or a thought, a scripture? Okay, can you hold that? Is anybody else? Anybody? Okay, just hold it. Remember what it is because we're going to do it at the end. Okay, so hold the thought. Um, I feel to jump right into the sermon today. Um, so hold it. If it's God, it won't go away. If it does go away, another teaching moment in the church. This is how it works. When it goes away, it's probably not God. Right? But if it stays, and he may even amplify it during the service um, and uh, say a whole, maybe say more to you. You don't have to be afraid. Sometimes we think when we're dealing in the prophetic or the revelatory giftings that we have to have this big out-of-body experience and we have to be floating on air and we have to be somehow, I don't know what we think we have to be. But, um, but it's, it's not mystical. It's very practical. Um, you don't have to have a Ph.D. in the psychic arts or anything. Uh, you just need to know that God speaks, and he speaks in various ways through a word, a picture, a scripture, a thought, and he'll just drop it into you. And then you express it the best way you know how. Everyone here has enough sanity that we got up this morning, we knew to get a shower or something close to it, and we knew to come to church, drive a car, come in here. And so I think we all have the ability to do this little thing too. If God drops something in our hearts, just hold on to it and uh, see what he's going to say to you about it as we, uh, as we move along uh, into the service. So, Father, we invite you by the power of the Holy Spirit, not through the ability of me, not through the ability of man, not through the ability of education. But, Father God, those things are all complementary, but it first and foremost is you, Holy Spirit, speaking to us in the mystery that is you. So we invite you into this today to speak, Father God, and to give us understanding and a better understanding of you and ourselves in you and you in us as we walk. Jesus is praying for you. There should be a slide there, Liz. Oh, we went back to the screen. Oh, there it is. Wonderful. Jesus is praying for you. Not the most startling revelation in the world, but when we dig into it, it's a very interesting situation. And we're going to look at one of the situations where Jesus uh, shows us that he's praying for us. Luke 22, 29 to 32. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, Last Supper, as we call it, even though they didn't really eat. Um, and I'll do a whole bunch of stuff around that. But anyway, nonetheless, he's talking to them. He knows it's his final night with them. He says, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me. <laughs> Basically, he's saying, I am putting on to you the job and responsibility that God put on me, that the father put on me. And what's crazy about that, he trusts you. Because he's not just speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to us here today. Jesus knew that he was speaking through the millenniums. He didn't know how long it would be, but he knew that as speaking to them, he would be speaking to us today. 
so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, of course, that's specific to those 12 disciples there that were there at that time, even though Judas was not part of that and he was replaced later on. And then he says something very interesting. Simon, Simon. Interesting, he didn't say his name Peter. He went right back to his original name, Simon, Simon, going back to who Simon really was. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Very interesting piece of information because Jesus knew before it even happened that he was going to be sifted. He knew it ahead of time. Now, that's good news for you and I because God knows what's coming your way. He knows what's going to happen to you. It's not going to catch God by surprise. Jesus knew that, it was, that this was coming Peter's way. And when we look at it at the conversion process, and by conversion I mean at any point it, in which you have said in your heart to God, Father, I desire to follow you. And I am understanding that I have sin that needs to be forgiven because you can't have conversion without forgiveness. What are you converting from? If we don't know that there's something that had to be dealt with in our life, and that's called conviction, when that happens, that conviction comes and says, say, Father, I want the forgiveness that you are providing me through Christ Jesus, so I may not understand how it happens. I want that, and I want to follow you, and I want to, instead of going this way in my life, I want to start walking this way. That's conversion. Well, when you do that, you are placed into a kingdom. And it is the kingdom of God. And what's interesting about that is that there's authority, property, and rights that are given to you at that moment. We can exercise some of the authority of that kingdom here on earth. We can do it in spits and starts and bits, and some people are much more open and gifted in it than others are. But nonetheless, we have a certain amount of that authority given to us, some of it, All of it is going to come later when we get with God. Matthew 19, 28 kind of describes it. He says, Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new, and he's speaking to his 12 disciples, and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, and this is what's going to happen, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Pretty good news for the disciples. They're probably feeling pretty good about themselves, eh? They're probably thinking, this is great. Look what's happening to me. Yeah, the next 30, 40 years wasn't so hot. Um, I mean, it was in the sense that they went through some real struggles and they all died very gruesome deaths. This is true also of all, all Christians in a kingdom because when we go to 1 Corinthians 6, 1 to 6, when one of you has a dispute with another believer... How dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? That's a powerful little thing to think about. You know, Christians having court cases against each other and all this stuff. Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? Now, we don't know the totality of what that means. But what it does tell us is that the place that you are headed for is a place of very high standing and authority. And since you are going to judge the world, 
Can't you decide even these little things amongst yourselves? Isn't that powerful? I mean, when you think about us judging the world, sometimes it scares the living daylights out of me when I think of myself being in a position like that. But of course, it says that when we are with God, we will be like him. We, all that stuff that was taken from us in the Garden of Eden when we turned and did whatever that was, in the Bible it says taking the fruit from the tree, but what it basically was was an act of disobedience. And when that happened, death happened. You weren't supposed to die. Adam was not supposed to die. And this complete and absolute un, unlimited contact that Adam had with God, God would come down and talk to him in the middle of the day. The ability to name all the animals, know how everything worked, to have all of that spiritual and mental ability, a whole bunch of that was taken away when Adam did that. And we've been hobbling because of it ever since. Uh, the scientists say that most people work only at the optimum at 25% of our brain capacity. If you want to see what some of the other brain capacity is, you can see it in some of the savants that they're not able to dress themselves, they're not able to do certain things, but they can sit down at a piano and without having any training can play some of the most amazing, complicated music the world has ever heard, uh, and it just comes out of nowhere. Or someone can throw a thousand pennies on the floor and they'll look at it and they'll go, a thousand pennies. Or they will say, uh, like that person, that uh, young guy that was able to learn languages, and it was one of, Icelandic is one of the most difficult languages on the planet, so he, they sent him up there, and he was fully conversant and debating with people in two weeks in Icelandic. So we know, and some people are very clairvoyant. Some people have very uh, strong abilities to enter into that realm. That was all taken from us. And God gives it back to us as you come into the church in little bits and spits and starts. You can have words of knowledge. You can have the ability to have words, prophetic words. You can have this ability to ha be someone who does administration very well. All these different giftings start coming alive to us as we come into the kingdom. So we have been put into a kingdom. And we've got a certain amount of authority here, but we're going to have a ton of authority there. And... But the kingdom we are part of and the kingdom of the world are drastically different. There's two kingdoms. There's only going to be one one day. But there's two right now, and we are in the midst of it, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the enemy. Paul tells us about it in Ephesians. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Our fight is is not a political fight. Left, right, who cares? The real spiritual battle is in the unseen world. The unseen world is affecting the seen world. And when we start fighting people instead of the thing that is behind those people, including ourselves, then we have lost focus. And it starts creating division it starts creating sex and little, little groups, and, and it just becomes very destructive. Paul is reminding us there's two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the enemy. And this is his territory. And we are here to do what? To take it back. We are here to destroy the works of the enemy. How do we do that? We do that by saying this, by speaking this, by talking scripture, 
by witnessing, by doing good works, by praying, by fasting, by standing up and not partaking of the evil of the world as an example of righteousness. Not perfection, but righteousness. That is, and what, and what righteousness is, is the desire to do the right thing. It's not that you're righteous somehow. We are in Christ. Thank you very much. Can we hear amen? amen? Because the righteousness that Christ gave you is the righteousness that is going to allow you to stand in front of God and, and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what's going to allow that. As we walk in righteousness, which means just walking towards the right thing. We're not going to do it all the time. We're not going to succeed all the time. But what do we have when that happens? Grace. We have the grace that covers every failure that you're going to make. So what does spiritual warfare look like? In this situation that we're talking about here, Luke 22 says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you. Now, each of those 12 disciples were sifted which is very interesting. They all took off like rats off a sinking ship in the garden. As soon as they saw those soldiers coming and the fight ensued, they started running. Sift you like wheat. You know how they used to do that? They would throw the wheat up in the air and the wind would blow the chaff of the wheat away so the wheat would fall to the ground. They called it the threshing floor. And guess where you and I are? We are on the threshing floor of life. And very often our life will get thrown up in the air. Mine has recently. How about yours? The whole world's life is being thrown up into the air right now. And it is for a purpose. And it is for a good purpose even though it will come through very difficult, dark, and sometimes unbelievably challenging circumstances. So that the chaff that is coating who we are in Christ, that is concealing who we are in Christ, that is hindering who we are in Christ, and who God wants us to be gets blown away. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. That's a powerful, fully packed statement there. Satan, first of all, has to ask, can we please get this through our head? I've had to pound it through my head, and you will have to pound it through your head, that the devil, who is real, he is a created being, he is not in any way equal to God, he is in no way in some kind of powerful position that we should fear him, but we should respect the position that he has at this point. But remember, it is a fallen position. And the authority that we have in Christ is greater than his position. Because we are where? Seated in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, far above every power, principality, right? That's where you are right now. That's where you are. You're sitting in Halifax in a funky little church, but in actuality, you are seated. Your spirit is seated with Christ, ruling over all power and dominion. That's yours. Whether or not you want to use it is up to you. It's up to you and I. And sometimes it's very hard to use it. But Satan at times does have 
the position and authority to come and kind of mess us up a bit. But he has to ask. Nothing has dominion over you without it going through God's hands. If that were not true, you and I might as well just go out, stand in front of the first bus that's coming along and just end it all. Because that would mean there is some, that God is somehow just aloof, standing off, just going, well, I don't know what's going to happen, and we'll just see what they do with it. No, God says that he, the good steps of a righteous man are led, which means God knows where they're going. He knew what was going to happen to Peter. So God knows what's coming. It's led. You say, well, how could God lead me into this? I don't know. And I wish I could talk to him a little bit about that recently. Why would you allow me to be led into this? What is the purpose? What is it? Uh, well, what does scripture tell us? A beautiful answer. All things work for good. Or called of the Lord. Why are you here this morning? Because you were called of the Lord. You may think you just came out of your own decision, but trust me, you're here because you were called of the Lord. Jesus said very few are going to answer that call. You must understand the royal place you have. We've got to understand that. Jesus said wide is the way to destruction and many will go there. I don't understand that. But apparently it's true and it's horrific. It's a horrific reality. Because when he talks destruction, he's talking destruction. But he said, narrow is the way, and few will find it. Many will go the way of destruction, but few will find the path of life. And that is something to be very thankful about. That you, If you are here at all with even the slightest sense that there might be a God and that he might be real and loves you, you are absolutely so far above anything else in this world. You are, you are in glory already. But Satan has to ask. And he wanted to sift them all, and he did. But it was very interesting that Jesus just prayed specifically for Peter. So how was Peter sifted? And why did, why did Jesus pray for him specifically? Well, Luke twenty two thirty three. Peter said this wonderful statement. Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. He said this literally about six or eight hours previous to this. Oh, boy. Sometimes we really open our mouth, don't we? Sometimes we say the wrong thing. And so this great boast that Peter had... You could almost see the devil go, oh, that's interesting. You think there was a little bit of pride in that? Think there's a little bit of arrogance in that? Think there was a little bit of presumption in that? Yeah, probably. And, you know, the devil just said, maybe, I'm just thinking this out loud, maybe he just went, well, let's see about that. And isn't it great to know that when we get all full of ourselves like that, that Jesus is up there going, okay, we need to pray right now. Because 
And, and, and you know what? Jesus warned him. He said, Peter, I got to tell you, you know, before the cock crows three times. God already knew. God knows about you. And yeah, you might have said the wrong thing, done the wrong thing. But guess what? God's up there going, okay, we got to pray for this right now. I got to intercede because this has allowed the enemy to come in. And I'm protecting my kids. And I'm not going to let my kids get beat up by a bully. They might be stronger. The bully might be stronger. And he might even have the right in some area to, you know, come and threaten. But you know what? They're my kids. They're my kids. And no one's beating up my kids. I don't care what your child's done. And I don't care how bad it's been. But no sensible parent is going to sit and watch their kid get beat up by a bully. They'll take the, their son or daughter home and say, okay, now you're dealing, Now I'm going to talk to you. But when they're getting beat up by that bully, guess what that parent's going to do? That parent's going to get in there and defend and is going to interfere with that. And that is a promise that we see borne out here. Jesus said, but Peter, I've prayed for you. Peter didn't know what he was talking about. Prayed for me? What do you mean? What is it? But here's how the spiritual warfare was manifested in Peter's life. Mark 14. Meanwhile, this is after Jesus had been arrested. And they had taken him to Caiaphas's, the high priest's house. It's about, it's about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the court entryway. Just then, a rooster crowed. You think he would have got it there? God sent him a reminder. When the servant girl, who would have been under 16 years old, Saw him standing there, she began telling the others, this man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. She was accusing him. Who's the accuser of the brethren? Mm. Even though she, he, but Peter lined it up, right? A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you're a Galilean, because he had an accent. Peter swore. A curse on me if I am lying. Woo! Oh, you're just seeing God go, oh. I don't know this man you're talking about. Three times. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and he wept. But John was there also. Because if you read, and there's debate in theology as to whether or not that was actually John. But it said the disciple that was known or the person that was known by the high priest, he went in ahead of Peter. So a lot of theologians believe it was John. John was there. For some reason, they didn't, you know, indict John. But they did Peter because Peter was the one who had the issue. You can say, how come everybody else is walking through life fine and I'm here stuck in this situation 
Everybody else is able to do this. Why can't I? Because God is dealing with something specific in you. And he had to really talk to Peter about that later on when he, when he told Peter, oh, by the way, Peter, when they're walking on the shore, he said, you're going to be crucified in the end. You're going to be taken to a position that you don't want to go and someone else is going to take authority over you. And, and he instantly, it's so funny, Peter just said, because John was there uh, walking behind, and, he's, and instantly he goes, well, what about him? Is he going to die? And Jesus said, listen, don't worry about him. Walk your walk. And that's what we need to do. Listen to me. Oh, please, Jesus, listen. Somebody else may be having a very difficult walk that may, you may look at it, it may really discourage you. And it may even rob you of faith in some ways. But you need to understand, everybody's going through their own stuff. God's perfecting different things in different people in different ways. So don't be dismayed by the trials of another person. Pray for them, but don't be dismayed. So this ended with Peter denying Jesus three times and weeping very bitterly. What's interesting about that, and this is the beautiful imagery of God. God is such an artist. In that clip, they weren't out in the courtyard around the fire like Scripture says. And that's where that actually happened. Peter was out warming himself because Jerusalem is very high. And you can actually get snow in Jerusalem. And it was the winter period, the end of the winter period. So it was cold. And he was warming himself around a charcoal fire that they had put in the courtyard to warm themselves. You know the story, if you know your Bible. When Jesus gave Peter the opportunity to reestablish himself in community with him when after the resurrection... They were sitting around what? A charcoal fire. Remember, Peter got out of the boat and Jesus had some fish and bread and they're sitting around a charcoal fire and three times Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? So he gave Peter the opportunity, but it's so beautiful that God did it around the same context. Yeah, it's very symmetrical. Yeah, it's very beautiful. So Jesus knew that Peter had this weakness and pleaded for him in prayer. Jesus knows your weakness and he knows my weakness. And guess what? He doesn't disqualify you because of your weaknesses. We disqualify ourselves all the time. How many times have you been hindered from coming to God with prayer, with requests, or believing him because you've sat and thought about some way you failed? sat and thought about some way that you aren't worthy, some way that you don't deserve it, somehow that you don't believe it's ever going to happen. And what's beautiful about this situation is God saw a weakness in Peter and did not disqualify him, even though it was grievous. He denied that he knew God. What have you done lately? (sighs) Like, have we come close to standing in public and it would be the same as me, standing in public, them knowing I'm a pastor and saying, I don't know anything about Jesus. I don't know a thing about him. They knew who Peter was. Peter had been traveling with Jesus for three and a half years by this time. They all knew the disciples. And bang, he's standing there and saying he absolutely does not know Jesus. I don't know what terrible thing you might have done or thought or what I might have done or thought, but boy, oh boy, I don't know where it stands on the old you know, level of really bad But that's got to be up there. What does he do? He intercedes for us. And this is the proof that he intercedes. Not only that he said it, but in 1 John 2, 1. My dear children, 
So who's God's dear children? He didn't say, hey, you. He said, my dear children. So beautiful. This is John speaking, of course, but he is talking through the unction of the Holy Spirit. I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. God is up there saying, yeah, I know, I know, and I I know they've done this, but I'm interceding for them because I'm going to pray that their faith doesn't fail. I'm going to pray that they are able to repent. I'm going to pray that they have the strength to recoup themselves. Romans 8.34, who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Two statements about it. Therefore, in Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. That's what we're on the process of doing. We're coming to God through Jesus. And he lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. I'm telling you, God is for you. And if God be for us, who can be against us, the scripture says. There is absolutely no way you can lose. There is no way you can lose. You can die, but you can't lose. You cannot lose that which is most sacred and most important, which is that relationship with God. And he is going to make, do everything he can to make sure that that continues. Whether you oh, no, deny him or you just are stumbling along the path of life, He is saying, I am going to intercede to make sure that you get through. And this is God's desire for you and I. He's not up there going, oh, my heavens, you really blew it. That's what we do. That's what the enemy does. That's what even other people will do. Christian church is is sadly very well known for just dumping its wounded. And when someone has a moral sin or some kind of a a serious issue in their life, you see the church kind of just step aside. It's a terrible, terrible thing. God doesn't. He draws closer, and he comes in and intercedes and strengthens. Final scripture, Luke 22, 32. Why does Jesus intercede for us? But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. The most powerful thing you have are your failures and what God does with them. We can jump up and down and talk. I, you know, I really get discouraged sometimes. Not discouraged, I just get a little bit of... When I hear people talking about all these wonderful things, wonderful things, wonderful things, tell me something about the rough things. Tell me something about God bringing you through the tough stuff. Tell me about when life didn't go the way it was supposed to and God somehow intervened. Tell me about how to suffer in Christ. Tell me how to take my brokenness to God and have him restore it and repair it. This is the stuff. And, and, and here's Peter. Now, you all got to understand, Peter lived many, many years after this event. The Gospels were being spoken when Peter was alive. So all these people are hearing about what? Peter's denial. Oh, you're the guy that denied Jesus. 
He lived with that his whole life. You think the devil didn't bring that up to him? You think that, that people didn't say, well, what's going on with that? And then what does God do that really freaks us out? He goes and takes the apostle Paul, who is riding on his horse, going to Damascus to go and kill some more Christians because he's a crazy Pharisee and he's going to just kill all these Christians. And what does God do? Knocks him off his horse, blinds him for three days, restores him, and makes him the chief spokesman for the church to the Gentiles. That's what God does with people who fail. He made Peter the head of the church. And we had the lineage of that now through the Roman Catholic Church. We still venerate that position that Peter was given. And you look at it and you go, this is what God does with failure. And that's what he wants to do with your failure and weakness and mine. So, Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for, Father, the truth, the undeniable truth. Father, we may not feel it. We may struggle with it in the middle of the night. We may really stumble and try to believe it and not. But, Father, it says even if our faith fails, you will not fail us because, Father, you cannot deny yourself. You are in us. We are in you. We are bound in you. So, Father, I pray for anybody this morning who is in a situation of feeling they have failed, feeling that they have somehow excommunicated themselves from you. But, Father, today... I just reestablish them in their communion and in their relationship with you because, Father, you said nothing is going to separate you from us in the love that you have through Christ Jesus in us. So, Father, we thank you today. And, Lord, I stand in the name of Jesus Christ and the authority given to the church, and we take authority over powers and principalities and spiritual powers, and the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Angels, come and bind up those, convicted, those condemning spirits. Bind them up this morning and set us free into the wonderful, wonderful joy of knowing that you are interceding for us. And we are forgiven. We are righteous in Christ. And we are fully accepted by you. We are justified, sanctified, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So, Lord, yeah, it's good. So, Father, we just ask if, Holy Spirit, you want to speak, that you would bring back whatever it was that you would wish to say in this moment. And anyone that has, it's a word for the church, something you feel is a word for the church this morning. I started to worship in my living room I, I got a picture with my eyes closed of this huge jellyfish I don't know 30 feet across and it was transparent and it was a little pink and blue on the left side and the tentacles were coming down and it stopped at my living room ceiling and, and I think it was the Holy Spirit so I kept I couldn't even talk it was so like shocking surprising and uh, I kept my eyes closed, and then I saw it coming onto the church, and the tentacles came down through the roof of the church, and they were clear in the middle and white and shiny on the edges, and each one went on top of each of our heads. It's Everybody's beautiful. head, yeah. It's beautiful. And and those tentacles burn like fire. Eric, I love your pictures. 
They're so descriptive. So much is coming to me. Anyone else? I've been reading our, our daily bread, and there was a story that really touched me, and I, the lesson really spoke to me. Um, so I'd like to share it with you. Uh, it's a story about a family who lives in New Mexico, and the father takes them on trips through the desert. But the daughter, when she drives through there, she says, she closes her eyes, she says, it's hot, it's dry, brown, and flat, and she just doesn't want to see it. And it says, it's easy to show up for beautiful experiences, but hard not just to sleep off the things we'd rather skip in life. For those of us traversing what feels like wilderness, there is hope. God leads us to the desert to reveal the stream only he can carve out of the wasteland. He allows us to experience the deepest thirst so we can know the greatest satisfaction. We may feel disoriented, but God makes a way in the wilderness. In the desert, we find God undeniably sufficient in the face of the seemingly insurmountable. Whether our circumstances change or remain the same, whether we feel relief or not, whether we experience lush growth or press on in drought, we can hold fast to hope in Christ, the source of living water. In Christ, we welcome a downpour of sustaining grace by way of redemption to see the beauty of the landscape he's led us to. He's our only hope in every season, even in the desert. Then, now, and always, God's primary purpose for the desert is to woo his people to himself and to demonstrate his faithfulness. He chose the desert then, and he chooses it now to show us the beauty of hope, mm. hope in Christ. Stay awake. He has so much to show you in your desert season. Wow. There's a word from the Lord. It's beautiful. How many feel that they are either in a desert experience on the fringe of one it's tough. It's tough. Anyone else? Children, my children, come close to me. Stay close to me. Many come with needs, desires, and prayers. But I desire that you come close to me and stay close to me. Some of you bring works. Some of you bring money. And that is good. But my desire is that you come close to me and stay close to me. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful reminder of what is the single most important thing. Is our relationship with God. Our relationship with him. Single most important thing. Jellyfish. I'm not going to do another sermon, don't worry. Um, but you know what's interesting about jellyfish? A jellyfish doesn't have a brain. It's true. It doesn't have a brain. So it's out there swimming around, doing what jellyfish do with no brain, which doesn't make any sense. How can this thing operate when it doesn't have a brain? And you think of the Holy Spirit. We don't understand how the Holy Spirit does what it does, what he does, it. Forgive me. Sorry about that, Holy Spirit. You're in it now. Um, we don't understand what he does, how he does it. We have no understanding. 
And I love the idea of the tentacles coming down and touching us because that's a, a man of war jellyfish that she described. It's an exactly what it looks like. And those tentacles can kill you. They really burn badly if you've ever seen that kind of burn. But yet what God is saying, what was meant for death is actually going to be a blessing. What is stinging in your life and what is, uh, you know, putting you through, I'm speaking to myself, oh boy. (laughs) What is stinging in your life right now is actually bringing life. You think it's bringing death. And does it hurt? Absolutely it hurts. There's nothing pleasant about getting stung. But what God is saying, don't misinterpret the sting. It is actually a blessing that is going to be poured into your life from this thing you cannot understand. And like, like again, you look at that crazy jellyfish. They go right across the ocean and they don't have a brain. Trees go out of, out of hills. You ever see them? The tree will go out and it will look upward towards the sun. It will actually bend and go up towards the sun. It doesn't have a brain either. Something's doing it. I wonder what could be doing that. I wonder what could be telling the tree to do that. It is the God in everything. And then, of course, the trip through the desert, I think that's self-explanatory. That doesn't even need to be explained. But God is yet saying there is a purpose behind it all. There is a purpose that and that he leads us into the desert. That he allows us to go into those places. I don't like it. You don't like it. You don't like the stuff that's challenging you right now. You don't like the unanswered questions. You don't like the things that are happening to you that you say, well, Father, it would be so much better if. Things would be great if. There's always going to be that if. Sometimes it's, it's really bad. It's scary. But God is saying, in it, I am going to put a stream. I'm going to give you a way that you can survive in that situation. And darn it all, we've got to believe it. Because sometimes, and I'm speaking from experience, and you, some of you have had it, where you were beyond your ability to believe that it could ever work out. And or, th- or that you're even going to make it. But God is saying, I'm in the desert with you. And that sting that is coming is actually death coming, or life coming from death. That's what's happening. And he said he would do that. And finally, come close. And that's what you did this morning. You came to church. There's millions of people that didn't come to church this morning. Millions. But you came. For some reason, you get up and you came. Because you want to be close to God. And God is, is right there. He's right there. And he's right down inside. And he's right here. He's with you. So, Father, we thank you for your words this morning. That you were confirming that you were with us. And, Father, I want anybody this morning who is in a struggle, unanswered questions, things that seem like an obstruction, things that are causing some, a little bit of challenge to the faith, I just want you to stand this morning. We do this because it is a statement of believing God. It is a statement of believing that God is in this with you. Father, I pray for the unanswered questions. And the Lord says that he is in the darkness. He makes darkness his hiding place. Just reminding you the Lord is with you. And what you don't know, you don't need to know right now. 
The Lord has it. Know this, that the Lord has the answers and has what is needed. Father, we stand today because we are saying we trust you and we are giving this situation to you. And as much as we don't want to go out into this desert or have this situation or be burdened with this thing, we are trusting that somehow it is going to work for good and you are going to do something miraculous in it and there's going to be testimony from it. Father, we give it to you in faith this morning and we can trust you this morning. You've said it this morning that we can and we give this to you in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Um, we are allowed to pray now in churches, like lay hands on people. So I'm going to start doing that again, that you can come up for prayer. We can't do it today because I'm not prepared for it, but um, that we can come up and have prayer and anoint and do all that kind of stuff because darn it all, we're going to win this war. Jesus has said that you are victorious. Jesus was victorious. The victory that lives in Christ lives in us. We will be able to make it through this, and we're going to. Let's, uh, let's take up an offering. Away we go. You know, it's at the back there. Um, you'll see toonies for Cuba. If you want to drop some toonies in that for Cuba, you can do that.